Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Father, as we begin this first day of 2017, we're thankful, Lord, that we can do so by gathering together to worship collectively. We thank you, Lord, that we have your word to be able to <clears throat> instruct and inspire us. And as we look into its pages in this day, we ask for your blessing. And Lord, through the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would make these words come alive in our hearts and in our minds. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Often as we begin a new year, there's a time of reflection, of sort of considering what has taken place in the previous year and, and what is to take place in the coming year. And we often think of what will happen in our own personal lives, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our church, in our country. Um, there are a lot of unknowns. And in some ways, um, we perhaps don't spend enough time thinking about what does God have for us in this new year? What is his desire? And um, what does he want to see us experience and learn in the new year? And, and so as I considered these things, I was inspired to read from 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. We'll begin our meditation with just a few verses, and uh, we'll expound on those and along with some others that are related to the theme of transformation. So we'll begin our reading in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, and uh, beginning at verse 18, where the scripture reads, But we all, with open face, beholding, <clears throat> as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. I'd like to conclude here at the first verse in chapter 4. There's no doubt that God's will for each and every person here in this room and even across the world is for us to be transformed into his image. Now, transformation is not a new concept. This is something we live with every single day. If you think of it from a physical perspective as a, a, when a baby is born, the transformation that takes place in the coming decade or two decades where this child is completely transformed and turns into a young adult and often not even recognizable from the baby picture that was taken. Complete transformation that takes place. But it's not just physical, it's also intellectual. As somebody begins at the, uh, as a young child that has little to no knowledge and goes through life, not only learning life's experiences, but also um, there's a great emphasis on education as they learn and, 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 and go through school and graduate from one year to the next to the point where they become fully educated, as we may say, to grade 12 or even going on to post-secondary school. There's an intellectual transformation that takes place, and there's an expectation that this happens. Because if it doesn't happen physically or intellectually, there's usually society as a whole and considers that there's a handicap, there's something wrong, that somebody has not experienced that kind of growth through those years. And the same is true spiritually as well. 
This is not just the time when we become born spiritually, where we are dead in our sins and require conversion and, and where we're transformed, but that's the beginning, and we are to grow through that process. And as we have read here this morning in, in, in 2 Corinthians, the word here changed. So it says, the Apostle Paul is writing, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. And it's a picture here of the glory of the Lord shining down onto us. And as we grow in his image, we reflect more and more of that glory from glory to glory. And how does this happen? Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And pretty soon as we grow in that maturity as we're transformed, that eventually we can completely reflect God's glory. It's not marred by a dirty mirror, as it were, or something that doesn't reflect it at all, that rather than reflecting it, absorbs it. And this is the picture that we're left here. And, and it's interesting as we look and it says where the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. That word changed, if you look at the original Greek, is only used three times in the entire scripture. The first time is in the Gospels where Jesus himself went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. That word changed is the same word transfigured. When Jesus changed completely in front of them and began reflecting the glory of the Father. So much so that the, the, the three disciples that were with him were dazzled and were shocked and were, uh, didn't know how to respond in that way. That was the first time it was used the second time this word changed, really the Greek word is metamorphosis, which we also use in our uh, everyday, it's more scientific, I suppose, vocabulary. But the other time that it's also used in the New Testament is in Romans 12, the second chapter, where we, uh, 12th chapter, second verse, where it says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, that's that same word, transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is what God desires for us. As we think of uh, school subjects, we know there's all kinds of school subjects as you begin in school and as you go through math, science, language, uh, English, uh, geography, and there's a whole list of subjects that we go through and are educated on. And as we look spiritually, that is true as well. There's all kinds of things that God desires to transform us in. And I think probably the, the most succinct list of that is probably the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith. All of these things are, uh, we can think of it as subject matters that each of us are called to not only exhibit, but also grow in. We begin as sinners. We, become, we, we begin as uh, in, in Ephesians where we read where, while we were yet dead in trespasses and sins, it says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And in other words, he's made us alive. That's his desire first is to make us alive. But as we consider this subject of transformation with the help of the Lord, I'd like to cover three aspects of it. 
the why, the what, and the how. And in that order, and the reason for that order is that if we don't understand the why, then the what and the how don't really matter so much. We're not really interested in that. And so we have to understand why. Why is God so interested in this transformation process? As a whole, if we look through the scripture, the theme that keeps resonating over and over again is that he loves us and he desires us to be changed into his image to experience the fullness of his glory. But not just to experience the fullness of his glory, he also wants to protect us from the ignorance and immaturity that can harm us, lead to suffering, and even shipwreck. This is the reason why he wants to do that. I think uh, the Apostle Paul summarizes this extremely well in Ephesians, the first chapter. Let me read a few verses from that where he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. This is what God wants to do in our hearts. He wants to open our eyes to enlighten us, to give us wisdom and knowledge that we can appreciate and experience the fullness that he has in store for us. And, and this is the reason for those of us that have children, that's why we desire for our children to grow and mature as well. Because we know they cannot stay as little children. They cannot survive in this world. And they'll miss out on all of the wonderful experiences that are awaiting them if they do mature. What is that richness? The richness of relationships. The richness of understanding the, the, the glory of God's creation in all of its facets, which is why we have uh, so much learning to do. And, and, and as we get deeper into any one of those subject matters, we realize we're only scratching the surface and becomes wonderful and amazing and it bursts into us a, a curiosity as we learn and adds richness to our life? Or what about the beauty of even something as simple as food? You know, as a child, when it's first born, is eating baby food. None of us here as adults would want to eat baby food, unless, of course, we're starving. But why? Because there's something far better than that. And as a child grows and graduates from baby food, they begin to eat simple, simple foods, and many of our children would be satisfied to live on, 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 on pasta, on noodles, and, 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 and craft dinner, or hot dogs, or, or some simple culinary uh, dish that many of us would not be so excited to live with from day to day, and yet they, they would be. And, and, and I appreciate the, the, the work that many of you mothers do to help Children appreciate things that are far richer than those simple dishes. 
Why? Because there's way more nutrition in all the different kinds of vegetables and meats and other things that we can then, that they can begin to enjoy. And they grow and, and appreciate that richness and abundance that God has given to us through something as simple as food. But it isn't just to enjoy the richness that, that um, we desire to have our children learn and come out of their state of ignorance into a, a place of knowledge and wisdom, but we also want to protect them from the dangers that, that, that exist around them. They don't understand that when they're young to run out in the road to run after a ball, why that's dangerous and how that could harm them. Or when they're coming up to a, a, a dog that looks nice to pet, that it could be dangerous and they could be harmed from that animal. Or there's all kinds of other hosts of dangers that in their ignorance and immaturity can seriously harm them or even kill them. And this is the same reason why God desires to do that to us spiritually, to experience the richness, but to also uh, uh, be kept safe from the dangers. And I think of the prophet Hosea, where he was inspired to write the very words of the Lord, where he said, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And in that time, they were being destroyed because they were not following God's precepts. They were struck out on their own, thinking they could figure it out for themselves. And as a result, they had to pay a high price for that ignorance and immaturity. And I love the, the word picture that the, the Scripture uses often to describe that. It uses the term yoke. It's not something we uh, use in our day and age anymore, in this country, many parts, many parts of the world, they do use it. A yoke is something that goes around the neck of an, of an ox that allows them to bear the burden. If they're pulling something behind, a wagon or a, or a plow or something else, that they're, once they're in that yoke and it's set, they are now bound to that burden. And Moses... And God, through Moses, in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, tells us how that yoke can come around our neck and we are burdened with the sin that comes upon us if we reject the counsel of God's Word. And what happens is, as, this, uh, as a young animal starts out in its uh, youth, it doesn't understand what a yoke is. It's free spirit. It can do whatever it wants. And so the owner will take a small yoke and start getting it trained so that it doesn't fight against the yoke. And eventually, it doesn't know any different and lives with that yoke without fighting it and bears the burden for the rest of his life. And this is the picture that, 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 that God was using Moses to paint, that once that yoke is set, becomes very difficult to break. And how does this happen in our lives spiritually? It often begins in our youth when the uh, pleasures of sin for a season entice us and we start 
compromising. We do things that we know are uh, dangerous or things that um, could lead us into a trap. But we think we're better than that. We don't, we don't, uh, we don't think we're the ones that are going to fall into the trap. And so if someone awakens love before its time, as the Song of Solomon says, and warns us not to awaken love before its time, and someone's start, abusive relationships are often marked with, uh, someone who does not share the same uh, passion for life and does not love God, and now suddenly there's a yoke that's been formed that is very difficult to break. But it isn't just in relationships. It can be in, 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 in what we call the 21st century drug. The neuro neurology in the last several decades have shown how the brain is wired during our teens and our 20s, where all the neurons and the pathways through our brain are, 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 are set it's not that they can't change later on, but it's much harder to change. And this is why we focus as a society on our young people. That's the time when they get their education. And that's the time that they learn. And that's when certain patterns are established that often last for a lifetime. And why it's so critical when in the scripture we read uh, an encouragement, as, Jesus, as God says, seek me early. Or when Jesus said to seek him first, seek the kingdom of heaven first, and then all the other things will come after. And why the priority to do that is in our youth. Not that God can't be found anytime. Yes, he can. But often as we get older, we won't seek him anymore. We're already set in our ways. The yoke has been set. And yes, we do have some wonderful examples of those that have been able to break off that yoke in their older years. It's rare. And so if you're here this morning that, and have never um, given yourself to the Lord and are still living under the yoke of sin, you've experienced some of the hardship that it brings and the emptiness and have experienced sometimes some of the consequences for some of the decisions that you now regret. But it doesn't need to stay there. And as we begin in this new year in 2017, may this be the year that you desire to break off the yoke of sin and as Jesus encouraged us to put on his yoke, that when we're yoked with him, that his burden is easy and light, that we go th as we go through life, guided and directed by him. Because God has a wonderful plan for you if you choose to follow him. And I'd like to illustrate the, this with a true story that took place some 70 years ago. And it was probably uh, just over a year ago I read this true account 
where there was a man by the name of Louis Zamperini that was drafted into the Second World War in the U.S. And on a rescue mission from Hawaii, as he was flying out across the Pacific, his airplane ran into mechanical trouble and crashed into the sea, killing everyone on board except him and two other crewmates. And they miraculously survived to be out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean during the Second World War. And they survived for 47 days, the longest anyone had ever survived on the open seas. One of the other crew members died, and there were only two left. And just as they thought they were about to be rescued, they discovered they were caught by the enemy, the Japanese themselves. And as they were put into a war camp, they suffered all kinds of horrible abuses. And Louis himself was not a believer. He grew up knowing something about God, but during that time he was on the ocean, he said, God, if you save me, I will serve you. And he was saved, but saved by the enemy. And in that camp, he governmentally, the horrors of the abuse that he experienced began to take a toll on his life. And, the, and he began to have nightmares every night of a particular guard that would come and, 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 and torture him day after day. And he couldn't get it out of his mind. And so in order to dull the pain, he started to drink. And he got addicted to alcohol. And he started doing other things that put his marriage at risk. His wife left him for a time because she couldn't live with him anymore. And then he figured the only way to deliver, to become delivered out of, this, out of these terrible feelings was to exact revenge on those guards that, did, that, that, that had tortured him. So he hatched a plan to, 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 to put together enough money so he could travel to Japan and find those guards and take out his revenge on them so he could finally be delivered. Now, can you understand the kind of, of, of desperation a man like that would be in? as he suffered the realities of, 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 of the mental torture in his mind and the foolishness in his mind as he thinks that somehow revenge will, will, will help take this away. And this is the why, my friend, my brother, my sister, this is the why God wants to transform not just him, but the thousands and the millions and the billions of others that may not be specifically in that situation, but in some other yoke that has that has um, tied them to feelings and, 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 and behaviors they cannot control. And so he was stuck. He could never raise enough money to do it. He still pursued it and tried, but in his drunkenness could not properly hold a job. And finally his wife came back and, 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 and there was an evangelistic meeting. And she encouraged him, please come. She had gone first and was overwhelmed by the message of the gospel. And I thought, this is what he needs, and encouraged him to come. But he resisted and resisted, and finally he came just to get, get, get her off his back. And when he, heard, when he heard the message, he was convicted, and he had to run away. He couldn't deal with the, 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 the conflict that was erupting in his soul because he knew he had to surrender. And the second time he went was the time that he finally gave in. And God transformed him, and he went back, and he poured the alcohol down the drain, got rid of the inappropriate magazines, threw out the cigarettes, and became a transformed man. The feelings of revenge no longer afflicted him. 
And those nightmares that he had endured for the last five years disappeared that very night that he gave his life to God and experienced a transformation. He experienced what I would call elementary forgiveness, the ability to take those evil, the evil that those soldiers had done to him, take them off of his hook and put them on God and leave God to deal with that justice. But God was not finished with him at that point because God was interested in his full transformation. Not just that he could have forgiveness and and blot out those memories from his mind as so many people have done. No, God wanted him to advance in that, to go from an elementary to a junior to a senior and even to a graduate level. And what did that look like? See, God began to work in his life to not only um, forgive his, those wicked guards, but birthed in his life to start reaching out to the Japanese people. Much to the point that now instead of raising money to go exact revenge, he was raising money to go preach the gospel. He wanted to visit those very same guards in prison to extend the message of the gospel to them personally. And he did that. And he went there and he shared that message with them, extending forgiveness. You see, if he had stayed at the elementary level, what likely would have happened is that at any mention of Japan or seeing a Japanese citizen, those horrors he would have relived and tried to suppress, even though he didn't try to, wouldn't, no longer wanted to exact revenge. But God had something better for him. And as he moved through that maturity of the forgiveness process to the point where what I would call he got to the the image, image of Jesus himself, as we read here, changed into the same image from glory to glory, where he followed the example that Jesus did when he offered forgiveness to the very same people who crucified him. That is graduate level forgiveness. And this, my brother and sister, is what he wants to work in our life as well. Not just on the subject of forgiveness, but in all the other areas of spiritual maturity that he wants to work in our life as well. And so we see the reason why God wants to do that in our life. Because immaturity is, can be deadly. It can leave us empty and unfulfilled. But when we humble ourselves and, 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 and yoke ourselves to the Lord himself, as he calls us to, we can experience that deliverance. And now, as we understand God's vision of why he wants to do it and what he wants to do. This is something that is not just for someone that experienced some terrible tragedy or, or, or some terrible situation. No, he wants to do that in each one of our lives. And, and I think of the, the scripture in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, where we're called and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's just one example of where God wants to transform us. As we consider these things, it's my hope and prayer that as we look at the verses we've read together, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. And that glory to glory is, 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 is this notion of a stairs. It's kind of like or a ladder as we climb from rung to rung. This is the image that the Apostle Paul is using, that he wants us, that, 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 that God's desire for us as we climb one step higher, one after another, as we move towards the image of the Lord himself. But I'm thankful it doesn't end at verse 18, which is why we continued in the fourth chapter. Wherefore, seeing we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we faint not. What does that mean? It means that as God has given us this opportunity for transformation, we faint not. It means it doesn't come easy. It means it doesn't come overnight. It means it requires sacrifice. It requires effort. It requires humility. And these are things that do not come naturally. But take time, which is why it says, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Because all of this transformation is impossible without the Spirit of the Lord working in us. And as we invite him into our lives to work in a greater measure than he's ever has before, may we do that with the intent that we would grow from to be more and more transformed into his image and that we don't get easily discouraged when things don't go exactly the, the way that we had hoped. But see each challenge as an opportunity for us to grow more into his likeness. And with God's grace this afternoon, I'd like to focus a little bit more on what that actually means. What, is, what are some of the other areas that God desires for us to grow from an elementary all the way up to a graduate level? And then how he accomplishes that in our life. And may God bless his word. We have indeed been blessed with a challenge to begin our new year with, and I'm very much looking forward to a continuation and elaboration on that this afternoon. In fact, I, since we don't have choir today, perhaps we can change our schedule and we'll meet at 1.30, half an hour earlier, to have the second part of the service. We learned a lot this morning about transformation and also development. Uh, as we saw the critical stage of development and uh, forming our brains and the patterns and how difficult it is to change that afterwards and how they can be bent out of shape by examples were given of awakening love out of time or addictions and technology and, and many more things. And now would be the time of year that people think that they are going to be able to, to 
use sheer willpower to, to break out of that and to set New Year's resolutions and to, to finally break free of the things they know are destructive in their lives. But we heard that this transforming power, this redeeming power, how, how God was actually taking a man who, whose life was so broken, had gone through so much pain, had so many bad pathways in his mind deeply ingrained through trauma and pain and abuse, and was able to transform that by his power to one where he could love his enemies and go out his way to, to seek them, to save them. That transforming power that will not just fade with the first week of the new year, but will become not only a coping, not only a, a parody, but will actually get to an overcoming level, a level where we truly reflect the glory of God is only available through the power of his Holy Spirit, of God's work in our lives. So let us find the source of transformation, of change, and let this be a truly new year where we can become a new creature in him. With that, we would conclude this morning's service.